Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, Avenue Church. How are we? Man, what an incredible, incredible time of worship. Thank you, team. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, look at your neighbor and say, you look good today. But make sure it's somebody you came with. <laughs> or maybe you'll look at a stranger and say, you look all right. <laughs> you look all right. Hey, my name is Stephen. Uh, my wife and incredible team planted Avenue Church. Guys, we're rolling in like eight months now. Come on. Come on. We're still a baby church, but God is doing some immensely great things in this house. And so I want to give a shout out to our A-team. Thank you guys for serving week in and week out, setting up in the mornings, tearing down in the afternoons, practicing during the week, preparing lessons. Can we just give all of our A-teams a hand? Come on. <clears throat> they could be doing a lot of other things with their time, but I'm just so thankful for this team. And if you're a guest with us, we're honored that you're here. We know that sometimes visiting a new church can be intimidating, whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time. It's our desire to not make it intimidating. And so if today's your first day visiting with us, we are honored. So home church, can we give our guests a hand? Come on. <laughs> And it is our desire as a church to connect with you. And there's a couple of ways that we want to do that. So you can do that through a digital connection card by texting the word Avenue Connect to 97,000. You'll receive a link. You can click on that. And there's a connection card at the top, um, along with some other links to some important stuff that we do here at Avenue Church, whether it's serving, getting involved, or finding our social media website, those kind of things. But I want to invite you to fill out that connection card and let us know how we can be praying with you. And this is your home church. You can always use that link just to stay up to date on what's going on. Or before you leave, make sure you stop our connection tent on the way out and you can fill out a card there. And we also want to give you a gift just to say thanks for spending your morning with us. And if you've maybe visited over the last couple of weeks and you've snuck in and snuck out, it's completely okay. We still have a gift for you. You can say... Look, I've been hiding out, but I want my cup, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we do. We want to just honor your, your presence here, and we want to get connected with you. And if you don't have a home church, we would love for you to make Avenue Church your home church. If it's not for you, let us help you find somewhere. Because it's not just our desire to grow Avenue Church, but it's our desire to grow God's kingdom and to see you walk in all that he has for you. So I want to see you be a part of that. Uh, just a few quick announcements of things that we have going on and coming up. We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and in the middle of a series on prayer. So it's an immersive, um, engaging teaching. So we're not just teaching about it. Hopefully you guys are practicing it and taking the principles that we talk about on a Sunday morning and putting into practice Monday through Saturday. And this week, we're taking a specific topic every week. Um, last week, we were praying for our community. This week, we're praying for our friends and our family. Um, and let me encourage you, start with those praying for those who have wounded you or who have hurt you. Because it's hard for them to pray, it's hard for you to pray anything else over them um, if you're harboring unforgiveness and hurt. And we serve a supernatural um, God that helps us work through that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to be completely honest, those of you who maybe have been wounded and hurt by friends and family, they may not know the extent of how they've wounded you. And so just ask God to work in you and through you for forgiveness. And so then we're praying for unity within families and salvation over these next seven days. And then next Saturday at 9 a.m. downstairs, we're spending just an hour of prayer just to spend some extra time as a church family seeking God for you, your family, this church, and this community. And so I'd love for you to join us. Two other big things we have coming up over the next couple of weeks is on August the 27th. That's a Friday night. We're having our first ever total worship night. So come on, the only agenda is we're gonna worship Jesus. We do that every Sunday, but you guys don't have to put up with a message from me on that Friday night, <laughs> right? All right, you just get to hear our incredible worship team, and it's not about them, but we're coming to lift the name of Jesus up 
because when we do that, we know his word says that, that uh, he inhabits or he is enthroned upon, sits on the praises of his people. And so we're coming expectant to see God move, to experience God to move. And then also on that Sunday, the 29th, we're having a college and young adult um, trivia night, team trivia night. So come on, all my sub-30 folks, you in the house? I get depressed when I make that call now because I realize I'm a decade past that. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? I'm coming as an honorary member of that generation. But we're just gonna be hanging out next door um, for Team Trivia Night. We're gonna be talking about The Office and Disney and MTSU Murfreesboro quiz, like questions. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So find your team of three to four. Um, you can register them online, and we'd love to have you. We're going to be giving away some prizes. We're going to have a cereal bar because, hey, you can't go wrong with Lucky Charms and Cocoa Puffs, right? So it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. I really, really would love to see all of my sub-30 folks there for Team Trivia Night. And for us old heads, we might do something. We'll have to do it, like, earlier in the day, not late at night, right? <laughs> Let's get to the Word, shall we? Go to James. <laughs> James chapter 5. We're, we're honing in on this message series on prayer and I want to encourage you, go back and listen to the last couple of weeks of podcasts that we've had. And prayer is one of our core four values in that we put our hope in Jesus and nothing else. Not me, not this church, not our government, but Jesus. And our response in that should be to worship him. So we respond in worship. And our third very important principle is we are persistent in prayer. That we don't want it to be a last resort. We want it to be a what? First response. Because everyone at some point in their life, whether they acknowledge God in their youth or older, when they come to a point in their life, everyone prays. I believe everyone, Sam Smith said it a few years ago, everyone prays in the end. But I don't want you to get to your end to pray. I want you to begin to cultivate that now. And so I want you to know that, that prayer is not difficult. It's not hard. You can do it anywhere. It is simply a conversation with God. That is it. It is a conversation with God that is actually the most important conversation that you'll ever have because it carries on through your entire life. And it's in that conversation that we cultivate intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It's in that conversation that we begin to align our will with His will. And it's in that conversation as we do those things that we can bring our petitions, that we can bring our requests, and we can see His power not just displayed in our life, but in our family, in our community, and in our world. And I think if, our, if, if the church would come to this understanding and the promises that God has for us in prayer, we talked about last week, that He not only hears our prayers, but but what does he do? Oh, you guys are, does he answer? I don't know. What's the answer? Don't make eye contact. He might call on me, right? No. God answers. You can say that. Come on. What does he do? He what? Answers. You guys don't sound so certain. But I want us to walk with certainty that God answers our prayers. And I get it. Like, there's seasons and times where we're all like, God, I, I just don't know, Right? And if, if we're to be real, like there are seasons and times and moments in our life where we're uncertain, but God's word is always certain. It's unchanging. It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow that he answers our prayers. And the reason why we think he doesn't is sometimes those answers don't line up with what our picture and our plan looks like, that we think the only answered prayers are the yeses, that the no's and not right now's, those aren't real answers right? Those aren't real. God, give me, give me something else. But those are just as real and just as viable and just as important answers. And I will be honest, like sometimes the no's and the not right now's have been the better answer for me in my life. Because if he would have said yes to the things at certain points in my life, I wasn't ready for it. It's like my oldest daughter is about to be 16. And she's asking for like the fanciest, fastest, like she wants a brand new Jeep. Daddy wants a Jeep. You're not getting a Jeep till daddy gets a Jeep, right? <laughs> and so if you get a Jeep, it's really gonna be dad's Jeep, right? But she's not ready for a forty dollars or $50,000 car as a 16-year-old, right? Now, as she works and grows responsibly and, like, becomes a better driver, right? She's, she's great, y'all. Like, she's way better than me at, at her age, but we grow in responsibility and we can be trusted with more, 
right? Scripture says that those who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And so sometimes if God would have said yes to our things when we wanted them, we weren't ready to be able to hold on to them and we would have just blown the whole situation up. And so I want us to understand, like, when James says this, James, the brother of Jesus, in, in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, he says, the earnest prayers of a righteous person produce great power, have great power, and produce wonderful results. And then he goes on, and he talks about this guy, Elijah. And the reason why I keep bringing this up is because Elijah was just like you and I, full of insecurity and doubt and worry and, and, and even doubting God to show up on his behalf. But he still prayed, and miraculous things happened. And that's the same as you and I. In our insecurity and lack of the word and, and maybe lack of faith at times, you and I still have the ability and the power and the responsibility to pray and see God's powerful hand move and produce results in our life and in the lives of those around us. And so when we look at this conversation, it's really communication. It's communication between us being the created and our creator. And there are really like three forms of communication, right? There's written, there's verbal, and nonverbal, right? Written, verbal, and nonverbal. And so when you're looking at, at written communication, you have things like text messages, emails, handwritten notes, and we don't do that as much. And so for me, I still handwrite all of my sermon notes. I try to type it, but there's just something special that happens when you make this connection from your brain to your hand and you're writing stuff out. And how many of you were to be honest, like, would you rather receive a typed letter or a handwritten note? There's just something special that comes from someone taking the time to write something out. And then, so when you look at verbal, there's, you know, you can talk on the phone, we can talk face to face, you can leave voicemails. Um, anybody remember answering machines? <laughs> like, I remember in college, just total random side. I remember in college, and I had an answering machine, not a cell phone, but a landline. And I worked really, really hard to have the coolest OGM, outgoing message, so that when people called, I would have music playing in the background, and I would do like a subtle like voiceover. Sorry, I'm not here right now. But if you, like, anybody do that or just me, okay? And so you do that. And so, so they would leave a voicemail, and you'd check it or delete it, return it, whatever. And so verbal communication. But then there's also nonverbal communication, right? That's our, our body language. That's our eye contact. That's our facial expressions. That's whether or not we touch our hands or touch our, touch our face. How do we... How do we, like, use our, I'm, I'm a big hand talker, and so some, sometimes you'll see me, like, waving my hands. I'm not directing traffic. I'm trying to get your attention, right? You're falling asleep. But we, we talk with all three of those, written, verbal, nonverbal, and actually studies show that only 9% of what we communicate verbally is actually received verbally. The other 93% is communicated through nonverbal. That's your body language, your facial expressions, um, your, your eye contact, that, that that communicates so much more percentage-wise than what we say. And sociologists call this posture, right? That, that how you posture yourself in a conversation speaks to the conversation. And my wife is always correcting my posture. She's like, stand up straight, put your shoulders back. And so I'm walking around like this. And so as I was doing the study about like how posture affects your confidence, there is science and psychology that, that, that speaks to how you stand and how you sit affects the confidence in what you're saying and how you're interacting with that person. And so I was reading, it's like, how do you tell whether or not you have good posture? And so it told you to go to the wall. And so I can't get that close to the wall, I'll fall. But you're supposed to go to the wall and put your shoulders back and make sure your shoulder blades are touching and you can put your hand just barely like between. And so it, then it said to walk away and come back. Well, guess what happens when I walk away? My shoulders go like that, you know? And so I'm finding myself, I don't have good posture. Anybody else? Every, I see everyone's like, eh, yep, nope, nope, don't look around, right? But posture affects how we communicate. And actually the definition for posture is it's the approach or the attitude that you have when dealing with something or someone. The approach or the attitude that you have when dealing with something or someone. And so even in these streams, these three ways of communication, even with, with verbal, um, with written and nonverbal, there's different postures that we can take when we're communicating. And so even just thinking when it comes to text, like there's different postures. Like if you're using all caps in a text message, what are you doing? 
you're yelling, right? That is a posture, right? And so if you're using like, if I can remember some of these like uh, abbreviations, like LOL is what, some of you guys don't know, like my mother-in-law thought it was lots of love. And so, and so she actually had her boss once in a text message sent her something and said, LOL. And she was like, I don't know how to take this. He's a married man. And so we were like, it doesn't mean lots of love. It means lots of laugh, lots of Lots of laugh out loud. Okay, so I don't even know. I can't even keep up. Right, lots of laugh. Lots of love, laugh out loud. But then you have R-O-F-L. Does anybody know what that means? Rolling on the floor laughing, right? And BTW, I've got just for fun, I just say that. I don't even text. Like, I'll be in conversation with Jennifer, and I'll say something, and I'll be like, oh, so-and-so, oh, BTW. And then I'll just walk away, and she's like, what are you, 12? I'm like, no. And then this one I didn't know, I-K-R. You guys know this one? I had no idea what that meant for the longest time, and, and I was too ashamed to ask, and so I just tried to figure it out, and so finally Urban Dictionary saved my life. I was able to figure that out, but, but, but there's posturing even within written communication, and then within verbal communication, there's tone, there's inflection, there's cadence. Are you talking fast? Are you talking slow? Are you, are you yelling? Are you whispering? That's all a part of posturing in physical or in verbal communication. And when it comes to physical, there's obviously like body language is posturing. Are you, are you cross-armed when you're in a tense conversation? Because that means you're what? Closed off. Are you making eye contact? There has to be a happy medium. You can't make too much eye contact. <laughs> Right, Ricky? Because then it just gets real weird if you just keep staring. It's like, I don't know. And so, so, so you're just like wanting them to break away. Please look away. And you're like, and so you can't have too much, but you have to have just enough so that you can be trusted. And actually, like they also say, if you touch your face a lot and if you cover your mouth while you're talking, guess what you're doing? You're probably lying. So those of you, who are, those of you who are, see, I'm giving, like, I'm doing great marital counseling right now. You guys aren't going to be able to have any conversations without totally analyzing the other person. But there's all these little tales and, and like facial expressions are huge. And some of you have like resting angry face. We'll just leave it at that, right? Resting <laughs> angry face. You just look mad all the time. And so my previous pastor, like my past, my spiritual father, he just looked angry all the time. But he was just always thinking, what can we do to make church better? What can we do to make sure this person is taken care of? And so finally one day I was like, Pastor, are you, are you really angry? Like, are you upset? And he was like, no, why? And I was like, well, you need to tell your face because your face <laughs> looks really angry. And so we, we have to be conscious and of, of all these like nonverbal, these, these postures that we're presenting. And there's also some importance that we have to, to realize is that it affects the information that we give. It affects the information that is received. That we may be saying one thing, but our posture is saying the opposite of what we think it's saying. Anybody ever like experienced that? It seems like someone is really angry at you, but they're not because their posture was speaking a different um, message than what the message was in and of itself. And so I want to talk about today, like our posture of prayer, because having the correct posture can bring about some openness. It can bring about some confidence. And we see different, like different postures in scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. When we come to God in prayer, there's, there's different ways that, that we can approach God. And so a couple is lying before God or lying prostrate, lying face down. And we see this as a sign of humility and unworthiness. And anytime you see in scripture where someone has an interaction with like a, an angel or the Lord himself in terror, they fall face down. Isaiah says even at one point, woe is me for I'm unclean. That it is, a, is it an identification that, that our God is so much bigger than we can imagine. And we put ourselves in that place of understanding the humility that we are to have. And really, and honestly, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but the unworthiness. Because he is so good. And to understand our wickedness and unrighteousness, to be in his presence, we're not. And so to lie face down, Abraham, when, when he came face to face with, with, with the angel of the Lord, with the promise, he 
fell face down in honor and reverence before God. And then there's, then there's kneeling, which is a sign of submission and authority. And we say in scripture, you know, it says that, that it is in that name that every knee must bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when we kneel in prayer, like it is a sign of submission. And for some of us, it's harder to get up than it is to get down, right? But when we kneel in prayer, it's basically saying, God, I'm surrendering, I'm submitting to you and your word and your presence in this moment. And there have been times in my life where it's, whether it's in a worship service or whether it's in personal uh, prayer time and quiet time to where like, I just feel and sense God's presence that it's just like, I can do nothing but kneel. That to stand seems so inappropriate. To sit seems so inappropriate. And so these are a couple of postures that, that bring us into a place of, of, of honoring our Heavenly Father, of submitting and surrendering to our Heavenly Father. And another more common one is just bowing. And you can be standing, you can kneel, and that's, that's, that's placing our head down. I try not to do that too much in bright lights because my reflection might blind you guys, <laughs> right? But when I'm alone with the Father, like I will keep my head down and my eyes closed. And if you've attended this church any at all, you know that at the end of every service as we have the call to salvation, I ask everyone just to bow their head and close their eyes. And one, it's, it's just to, to give everyone in the room a moment, but it's also just to humble ourselves before God in the word that we've just received so that it can do the work in our hearts that it's set to do. And so bowing is showing honor and gratitude, sitting is another physical posture that we see in scripture and it's a posture of listening and learning. And I know like if I were to have you guys stand up through the whole sermon, you would be like fidgeting over a little bit. You've been to those concerts to where it's standing room only and your legs get tired. But when we sit, we're able to listen and take in and be attentive. And we see Jesus actually early on, like as a child when his, his mom and dad couldn't find him, and they had traveled for three days and they realized, like, wait, where's our son, right? You guys ever lost your kid for three days? No, so you're better parents than Mary and Joseph. Good job, all right? But after three days, they're like, where's our son? And when they go back to town to find him, he is in the temple sitting, listening, and asking questions because he realizes that that is the posture of listening and learning. And then they're standing and what I love about standing is, is that's how I pray the majority of the time. And partly because I'm afraid if I sit, I might fall asleep, right? <laughs> no, but I stand because this is, this is what we have to understand. Standing represents the privilege to be there. It represents a legal right to be there. You and I, following Jesus, we have a legal right. We have the ability, we have the responsibility we have permission to stand in his presence. And so standing in prayer is simply agreeing with God that you have the right to be in his presence, that you have permission, responsibility to be there. But it's also, it's also to be readiness for battle. And I'm really excited about our series that we're gonna do in October about what goes on behind the scenes is because prayer, whether you realize it or not, it's a spiritual battle that the things that we say in the natural, that the things that we say um, in public, in, in our prayer, in private, moves things behind the scenes that we know nothing about, that we can't fully understand, that we can't fully describe at time. And Paul says in Ephesians that when there's nothing left to do but stand, guess what we're to do? Stand. And so when there's things in your life that you need God to move mightily on, and you've humbled yourself, sometimes you just have to stand your ground in prayer. And so when we stand, that comes with the authority of being where we're at, but also the authority of knowing that we're ready for battle. And then there's, we, we see in scripture, to, to look up. Is that when we pray, we look up. And yeah, we think we're looking at the ceiling, maybe we're counting the tiles or whatever, but what we're doing is, is we are changing our perception of where our authority comes from. We're changing our perception of, of what we see, and we can do this in the naturally, like actually looking up, but also spiritually. Paul says in, in Colossians that, that not to just put our focus on things of the earth, but to look up, to actually look up and put our focus on the heavenly realm because that's where the real work is taking place. And we actually see in scripture, when Psalms 121, it says that I will look to the hills, 
from where my help comes. And so when you look at a hill, where are you looking? You're looking up. We change our gaze, and actually science actually proves that when you look down, your countenance is down. Your mood is down. My pastor calls it navel gazing. It's like you just walk around looking at your navel all day. You're only concerned about you. <laughs> You're only seeing yourself. You're only seeing what's in front of you. But when we look up, we take our focus off what's around us and distracting us, and we put our focus on where our help comes from. So we look up, and then we, we pray with outstretched hands. Paul, or Peter says that the word to, to lift hands without wrath, praying at all times. And really, when you think about lifting your hands, <clears throat> it's in two separate um, concepts, okay? If an army is being attacked and imprisoned by an enemy, what does coming out with your hands up a sign of surrender. It's a sign of surrender. But if you're at a basketball game or a football game or a basketball game and your team is winning, where do your hands go? Up. And here's the crazy thing about God's kingdom is it's upside down, is that when we lift our hands, it is both the sign of surrender and victory. Because it's in God's kingdom, surrender is the place that we find our victory. And so when we lift our hands and what we're doing is, is we're giving up our situations to God, we're surrendering that to him, and then we're declaring victory in that situation. And so I wanna encourage you, like for me, that's, that's huge because I have a tendency to hold on to things. Have you guys ever been driving like, like in the rain or in a snowstorm or really, really crazy traffic and you're just gripping the steering wheel? What happens when you go to take your hands off the steering wheel, like your hands are locked up, right? And so I'm not telling you take your hands off the steering wheel in those moments, right? But sometimes we hold on to our situations like we hold on to a steering wheel in crazy traffic, okay? Unless you're in a self-driving Tesla, keep your hands on the steering wheel. But in a situation where you're trying to control things, take your hand off the steering wheel. Take Carrie Underwood's advice. Let Jesus take the wheel, right? But oops. But lifting our hands is a sign of surrender and victory. And this one, we see David dancing before the Lord, and it is, it is leaping for joy. And, you know, some of us may only feel comfortable doing that in private, but there's nothing more freeing until you've done that. You'll see me over here. You say, white man can't jump. This white man can, just not very high, right? So a lot of times in worship, I'll be jumping, just not because I'm excited what God's doing in my life, but what God's doing in your life, and I'm celebrating it. One of our sound guys was, was serving one Sunday, and it was his first Sunday to serve by himself. Matthew, our, our regular sound guy, was out of town, and so Tyler was having to cover everything, and it was the Sunday everything went wrong. And so literally like an hour, he's sweating, he's problem solving, and so we couldn't get the screens to come on, we couldn't get the computer audio to come out of the speakers, we couldn't get the confidence monitor to come on, and there was like a couple other things, and it was slowly, he was just, and so I was walking and praying, I was walking and praying for him, for everything, to, and so like he got this taken care of, then he got the sound coming out, and the last thing he got up was the monitor in the back, I kid you not, I'm not a runner, but I ran like a track star all the way around the back, not because of what like I had done, but because of God had worked through him and in him, and his confidence was built in that. And it was a celebration moment and just confident what God can do. And so these are all physical postures that, that we can take, right? And so sometimes we make prayer super complicated. I've given you lots of options. You can lay down, you can sit down, you can stand up, you can lift your hands, like whatever. Like you choose, you do you, right? But even more important than our physical posture is the posture of our heart. And, and God reminds us of this. It's not about what takes place on the inside, but it's about who we are, or not what takes place on the outside, but who we are on the inside. And we see the great prophet Samuel when he's trying to pick the next king of Israel and David you know, is gonna be the next king, but David's not on the scene his dad brings all of his brothers because they're the tallest, they're the strongest, they're the tannest, they're the wisest, they're the oldest. And Samuel looks at each one of them and is like, surely this is God's chosen. And God's like, nope, nope, 
nope, and goes through the whole lot. And then Samuel's like, where's, like, do you have any other sons? Like, is there, is there anybody left? It's supposed to be somebody from your household. And he says, my son David is out in the field. And so he comes and he is chosen as king. But this is the word God gave Samuel. He says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him, talking about David's brother. It says, the Lord doesn't look at things the way you look at them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? He looks at the heart. And so when it comes to our posture, he's not really, really concerned in some sense, and we'll, I'll explain in a moment, whether you're standing or seated, whether you're dancing, because that can just become routine. And if we're not careful, we will allow the routine to define our prayers. We will define what we say and how we say it and where we say it to define our prayers. But then Jesus says this in Matthew 15 when he's teaching to the Pharisees. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but what's far from me? They're what? Their hearts. And so you can have all the looks, man. You can have the church dance. You can have the church clap. You can have the hands raised. You can have all that. But if your heart is far from God, then you're denying him. You can even say all the right words, and we'll talk about patterns of prayer next week. You can even say all the right words, but if your heart's not in it, he's not hearing you because it's the posture of our heart. Now, this is how these two things come together. You have the physical posture, the external, but then you have the posture of the heart, the internal. And the way these two things work together is that, that your physical posture should be a representation of where your heart is at. Your physical posture should be a reflection, a representation of where your heart is at. So, so if you're, you're at a place and your heart is just broken and you're just feeling completely unworthy, then find yourself on your face. But if you're dealing with pride and you're not listening with God, find yourself on your face. Because science shows that our posture controls our emotion and our heart. And so our posture should reflect either what's in our heart or it should begin to rewire what's in our heart. And so many times we think we wanna, we wanna change behaviors just by changing the action, and that works some. Or, or we wanna change our mood and change our behavior just by trying to feel better. How many of you know that sometimes you just can't feel better by trying to feel better? Like I never feel like running. And I've been training all summer to try to get to a 5K status with my daughter. And most days starting out, I don't feel like running. But I know I need to run. Guess what happens after I've ran? It's like, man, that felt good. And so we have to move our posture to meet where our heart is or where it should, should be. Does that make sense? Because this is where our heart should be. This is where our heart should be first. And we see this in some of the scriptures that we've been reading the last couple of weeks. Um, our heart should be righteous. James says the prayers of a righteous person produce wonderful results. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a loyal, or other translations say, a right spirit. And this word righteous, we drop it in church like everybody knows what we're talking about. But most people don't. Like, we just, Does that mean a good person? No, that means you're in right standing. When you're righteous before the Lord, you don't have to be perfect, but you're in right standing. And to get in right standing before the Lord, that means being in relationship with him. That means understanding the forgiveness that he's offered for you and I. And we can boldly come because of that right standing without blemish. So when we've asked for forgiveness, guess what? We have received that forgiveness and we can enter into his presence righteous in right standing. And so we come with a righteous heart, with a repentant heart in understanding that we have permission to be there, which brings us to the second posture is we should be able to pray boldly that we shouldn't shrink back. And I love the writer in Hebrew says this is so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe the high priest of ours understands. He understands our weakness for he has faced all of 
the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And look at this. This is, so let us come how? I don't believe you believe that. Let us come how? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We get to come boldly. And so many times, like I'm guilty, so many times we come before God not understanding our right standing before him and we don't come boldly, but we come weakly. And there is this balance of, of being submissive under authority, but then also realizing the authority and the promises that we have in God. Like my youngest child gets this for me way better than my older two because she has seen what gets daddy's attention, right? My oldest one had to figure it out on her own, right? There was no big sister, no big brother, but she has seen what gets daddy's attention. And part of it is because she's the baby, right? But she comes to dad with a little more sass than the other two at times. And it's also one of the privileges of being a PK, being a pastor's kid, is pastor's kids get to go places that regular kids don't get to go. And so sometimes they just walk into places that they shouldn't be. They walk into offices that they shouldn't be. They walk into, like we had a snack closet at my church in Jackson. It was under the risers, under, un, under the stairs in the auditorium. And so they would just walk in there because my dad's a pastor and they would get a bag of Famous Amos cookies. Or they knew dad had the key and they would ask dad for the key and dad would get them a bag of Famous Amos cookies, Right? And here's what I want us to understand. Like, whether you grew up a pastor's, like in a pastor's home or not, we're all PKs. We all have the same privilege to come to God's presence. You have the same privilege that I have. Just because I'm holding a microphone and I started this church doesn't give me any more privilege before God than what you have. But sometimes we don't take that and we shrink back from that. And how many prayers have we missed because we were afraid to pray them because we think we didn't deserve them? We don't, like, like, like we think God like won't hear us because of where we sit in the church or because of the length of time that we've attended church. No, no, Paul says that we are to come boldly because of Christ. It's not because of you, but because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So we come righteously. Because of that righteousness, we can come boldly. We can step in there and we can be like that, 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 persistent. We can come with a persistent posture, not giving up. And, and our third value here at Avenue Church is we are persistent in our prayer. And I love the story in the book of Luke where Jesus is telling the story about a neighbor who has a friend show up in the middle of the night and his friend wants a sandwich, but he's out of bread. And so he goes to his neighbor's house and he starts knocking on the door and says, hey, I need some bread. Can I borrow some bread? Let me some sugar. I am your neighbor. Anybody? Okay, all right. And so he's knocking, he's knocking, and it says that he doesn't come to the door because he's his neighbor. He comes to the door because of his shameless persistence. And look, sometimes we stop praying and we stop knocking just because we get tired. Mark Batterson says, how many prayers go unanswered because we fell one prayer short? And look, maybe we stop praying, and here's what I think. Like, we stop praying because God's already answered. We just didn't like that answer, and we don't want to receive that answer, so we stop praying. But what if we kept praying, and God opened our eyes that he's already answered? What if we kept knocking, and we realized he's already opened the door? It's just not the door that we thought. And so let me challenge you and encourage you. The posture that, that I want you to take is one of understanding your righteousness, one of understanding that, that you have a boldness, and then one of understanding don't quit praying, guys, for whatever it is. Stay shamelessly persistent. And shamelessly means like you just don't care what people think about you. If you're gonna walk the yard in your boxers praying, you might get arrested, right? <laughs> but, but just without abandonment, just Pray without worrying about what anybody thinks about you, whether that's loud, whether it's soft, whether that's for a week, whether that's for a decade. Who cares? 
And as we're praying persistent, I want us to pray with expectancy. And I think we don't do that. I know like there's been seasons and moments where I'm like, yeah, God's not going to show up. And I love, I love this. And so this is in 1 John 5, 14, it says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us, we can make our request. And we also know that he, what's that next word? Can you guys read that? W-I-L-L, he will give us what we ask for. Not might, not maybe, but he will. When we're asking for things that please him, when our will is lined up with his will, when our heart is lined up with his heart, then we ask for the things that he wants us to ask for and we will receive it. And I love the story in Acts chapter 12. And I'll try to, I love the story in Acts chapter 12. This is right after James, John's brother, has been like killed by the sword and now Peter's in jail, one of the disciples. This is after Jesus has, has died on the cross. He's been buried, he's resurrected, Pentecost has happened and, and the church is multiplying and James and John are James... Peter, James, and John are three of Jesus' closest, closest guys. And so James has been killed by the sword, and John is in hiding somewhere. We don't know. And Peter gets arrested. And Peter is in prison, and then it says in Acts chapter 12, and let me, let me go, to the, go to the passage. It says that the church began to pray. In verse 5, it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And so while he's in prison, the church is praying, people at their homes are praying, and it says that an angel showed up to Peter, and he's handcuffed to two prison guards. He's in the middle, sandwiched, handcuffed to two different dudes. And the angel shows up, and he thinks that he's dreaming, and it says that the angel struck his side. And I wonder, like, did he just tap his side, or was the angel like, pow, like just punched him in the gut? But it says that the shackles fell off his wrist, and he got up, and as he's walking out of the prison, he thinks all of this is a dream. He thinks that he's having like a vision, that it's all a dream, and he's amazed. And it says that finally he came to his senses once they were in town walking down the street, and the angel left. He came to his senses and said, the Lord has sent an angel. This really is true. And it says in verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered praying. So picture this, he's been in prison, now he's out of prison, the church has been praying, and he goes to the house of someone who's been praying, and he knocks on the door. He knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, come to the door, where are you at? And so it says that when he knocked on the door, a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it, and when she recognized Peter's voice, she had not seen him, but she heard Peter's voice on the other side of the door saying, little pig, little pig, let me in. And she's overjoyed, and she goes back to everybody praying. She interrupts the, the, the prayer meeting and says, hey, Peter's outside. And they're like, no, it's probably his angel. Because in Scripture, they talk about this. It says each one of us has an angel. It says, no, it's not, it's not Peter. It's an angel. So they were praying for Peter to be released. Peter was released, and they didn't expect it. Now, how many times have we prayed and we're really praying, but we're just going through the routines and the motions and not really expecting God to answer. And your answer is knocking on the door. It's like, hey, let me in. Like, it can't be. Like, God wouldn't do that. And it's there. Because maybe it didn't happen in the moment. One of the greatest victories for us in planning this church is God providing funds for this church. And... I'm not the type of person to go and ask somebody for money. Like there are guys that have that personality and they can go and fundraise and they can raise money and they do an incredible job. And that's just not been, been me this whole time. I'm, believe it or not, I'm very like shy and I don't like asking people for help. But you kind of have to have some money to start a church, right? And I had like moved here with a salary for a little bit, then no job. And there comes a point, my wife and I, we were having some intense fellowship, and we were having some deep conversations. You guys will figure out what that intense fellowship means. Um, we were trying to figure out, like, look, she's like, you, you have to start asking. Like, we got to meet some business people and get connected with them and ask them for money. And I was like, look, I'm not. I'm just asking God to provide. And she's like, what's he going to do? It's like he's not like he's going to put a check in the mailbox. It's like, you never know. And so <laughs> we'll see. And so while I was working at FedEx loading 
boxes, I was constantly praying for God's provision. And there was one night where I had nobody else in the trailer with me. It was just me and my scanner and 3,000 boxes, and I'm praying for God, you know, can I get $3,000? God, this would be great, you know, and so I'm praying for provision. And then no lie, the next day I'm having coffee with Jonathan at Just Love on Old Fort, and we're having this conversation, and I told him, I said, I'm really, like, insecure about asking people for money. Like, I've just been telling God what I need, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to tell people what I need. I leave that coffee shop that morning, and I go home, and I'm getting mail out of the mailbox, and there's a letter, and it has like a child's handwriting on the outside of it, and I open it up, and I'm thinking it's going to be a letter from one of Addison, my middle daughter's friends from back home, because they'd been sending letters back and forth, and I open it, and it wasn't just a letter from her friends, but it was a letter from a couple that we had been friends with in Jackson, and a check for $10,000. And I collapsed. Like, that was like, I fell face first on the kitchen floor right there. Like, just tears everywhere. And I say that is that sometimes we're not praying with the expectancy that God's word encourages us to have. And I want you guys, I want us as a church to pray with the same um, fervency and the same earnestness and boldness but then also the same expectancy with that and that God will come through on your behalf. It may not look like what you think, but again, go back to our last series. Guess what? He is for you. And for some of you in here, like it's, it's, it's hard for you to understand that because you haven't experienced the first promise that he has for you and the first answered prayer that he has for you that he answered 2,000 years ago on a cross. Is that those of us in here today and our life's out of order, our life's out of whack, we're carrying around this guilt, this shame, this weight, and the enemy's always whispering in our ear, it's like you're never good enough, you're a mess up. If people really knew the real you, they wouldn't accept you. And so it's hard for us to come to God for anything else beyond that because we feel so unworthy and unloved and untouchable. But you can already, with an open hand, receive and expect to receive the forgiveness that he's already offered, that is already there. So that you can not just walk in the fullness of all that he has for you, but in the freeness and the freedom of all that he has for you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, here's here's what I want us to do. I don't want us just to lower our prayer expectations to match those of what we see around us but I want us to raise our prayer expectation to what we read in the Bible. And the expectation is, is that all those who are in Christ are a new creation, that he is just to forgive us, that he takes our sins and places them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. And so if that's you here today, in a moment as we pray, I want you to expect to receive that forgiveness. I want you to expect to receive that freedom. I want you to expect to experience that love. I want you to expect to feel and and acknowledge just that, that release and that power and that confidence of coming and knowing that you are loved regardless of who you are and what you think other people think about you. And if that's you and you're here today and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, just Real quickly, if you just lift your hand and you can put it right back down just as a sign of victory and surrender all at the same time. Awesome. And in a moment with every head bowed and as I continue to, as as I pray in a moment, it's not my words that save you, but it is yours in this moment by simply saying, Father, I'm sorry, forgive me. I wanna trust you. I wanna follow you. I ask you to guide me and lead me. And for the rest of us here as a church, I want us to be extremely persistent in prayer and what we want to see God do and move in and through our lives and in our family members' lives and trusting that he is for us. He wants to move on our behalf. He wants us to be connected to his heart and his will. 
So Father, we come to you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that is found in your word, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing truths to us. And God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself in this moment. To those who lifted their hand in need of a savior, God, I pray that you reach down and pull them out of their mess, that you place them on a solid path walking in right standing before you as they turn from their ways to follow your ways, as they lay down their burdens, their guilt, and pick up your way and your teachings. God, that they feel very tangibly and experience your love in this moment. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would walk in all boldness, that we would walk in all righteousness and expectation and persistence within our prayers. And knowing that it's not just what we say, but it's, it's how we come to you. God, I pray that we would come to you just as a child does their father. And just in this moment, I just, I just want to speak to those of you who feel like God is distant, that he's so far removed from your situation. I love the scripture that says that he bends down to hear our prayers. Just as a father bends down to his children, your heavenly father bends down in every moment and every prayer and every whisper and he hears your prayers that even as we come boldly and expect it, it's from the posture of a child to a father. And I just feel like in this moment, God wants to remind some of you of that. That when we take the posture of a child, it says that we inherit the kingdom. That when we take the posture of a child, faith is strengthened. When we take the posture of a child, we trust our Father. So God, I pray that that word would just settle on hearts of someone in this room. That even in this moment, your spirit is speaking. Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen, amen.